Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Robertson, Annabelles. And I'm- Leprechauns. And <laughs> Leprechauns. I'm Dan. That's Lindsay. And she is Lindsay wearing- Leprechaun. Lindsay Leprechaun. has got a green uh, sweater, got a little St. Patty's Day hat. Mm-hmm. I-, I have green eyes. I have um, a green- uh, rabbit's foot. I have on green underwear. I really <laughs> went all for it, you guys. I wonder, I wonder if that many Irish people actually care. Like, like not Irish American. Like, like, like living, truly like, like Ir- living in Ireland. Uh, what they think of St. Patty's Day celebrations in the U.S. Um, I'm gonna guess it's sort of like what like true Christians feel about like our Easter bunnies on Easter. Ah, you know, probably, like that sort probably. of. They're like, ah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Um, couple quick announcements and then excited for stories as usual. Uh, this week's merch announcement, new collection titled Let's Get Out of Here. Oh. Very cool design featuring a man running to his car in an attempt to outrun an alien abduction. Ah! Really fun retro neon kind of style. Uh, just like last week's Witching Hour collection, this collection features a tea, canvas, new blanket. You can double up on new blankets in the store if you need to get cozy. I need to make a blanket order. I need to make some shirt orders. Yes. Uh, head on over to badmagicmerch.com. Check out the new Let's Get Out of Here collection. Uh, Art Warlock continues to constantly reinvent uh, graphic tee designs and just designs in general for the store. Yes. So fun. And then uh, and then you have a couple announcements that also, don't relate to leprechauns I'm aware of. I also remember that I have on a ring that has green, like has a little piece of like green jade in it mm-hmm. that we got when we were in Peru. Nice. Oh, yeah. I was just reliving a like really nice memory in my head as you were talking about (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts. I wasn't here. I was somewhere else. All right. Okay. So charity this month, just as a reminder, we are donating this month and per usual recording ahead of time. So can't tell you how much Mm -hmm. we are sending on over to Sleep and Heavenly Peace. It is a nonprofit that consists of a group of volunteers who build, assemble, and deliver beds to families in need. Such a cool and just very like different kind of charity than we've donated to in the past. Um, they do have chapters all over the U.S. So if you are somebody who has the the time and the skills to donate your time or have the means to financially donate, please visit S. HP Sleep Heavenly Peace, shpbeds.org to learn more. And then also, we don't know how the scholarship is going at this point, but we're hoping that it's just like flooded with people who need help and we're so excited to be able to do that. But in case you missed it, we are awarding three $5,000 scholarships through the Cummins Family Scholarship presented by Bad Magic. And to find out if you qualify and all the different pieces and parts of it, you're going to visit learnmore.org scholarsapply.org backslash Cummins backslash. It's a lot of words. You can find it in the episode description. And thanks again to all of our patrons, uh, Annabelle's, Robert's, Space Lizards for making the scholarship possible. That's, That's awesome. You guys funded it and we ran with it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
And then real quick, uh, I am going to be in New Orleans March 24th, and I'll be in Philadelphia March 25th. Hey, me too. Bernadal Down a theater shows. Hey, 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 I'm going there. <laughs> Dan Cummins.tv for tickets. Do it, do it. Uh, okay, so what do you have for me in the Creeps and Peepers today, Horwitz? I think you said you had one story, right? But a bigger one? Yeah, I haven't done this in a while. I have one big, long, fat story okay. about the Jefferson Davis Hospital down in Texas, where we just were. Huh. So I thought it was fitting. Nice. That's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. Uh, well, I, ha- I have my usual two. The first one, I can't say a lot about it without spoiling it. Uh, very, very excited to tell it, though. A man's brother dies, a brother who was not very fond of him during the final years of his life. Sorry, just the way that like that, like if we uh, took an excerpt of that, I'm very excited about this story. This guy's brother died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of context, real bad. <sighs> um, but this uh, this guy's spirit seems to be uh, dedicated to really tormenting his brother. I kind of love that. It's Yeah, it's rough. Uh, my second one is, is another shorter one. It's the tale of the ghost of Lavinia Fisher, first woman to be executed in the state of South Carolina. Mm. So once you show off your fuzzy socks and get settled in, uh, your little get get ready to get scared uh, pre-show or early in the show horror ritual, we're going to dive in. There's no setup on this first story. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Mm, those are cute. I like this. Okay, you ready? Ready. No, no setup. Ha, ha, ha. The pressure's on. Time now for the tale of you will suffer. Oh, man. My brother died four years ago. We weren't on speaking terms when he passed. His funeral was the first time I'd seen him in over a decade. He hated me. And I can't say I blame him. I had an affair with his wife. (gasps) By the time he found out, it had been going on for well over two years. Holy shit. And then after they split, I dated her for about another year, off and on. While what I did was terrible, and I was and I still am ashamed, it wasn't exactly what you might be thinking. She and I had history. We all did. My brother was only a year older than me, and we both met his future wife when we were all in high school. We met her on the same day. I introduced her to him. It was the first day of school, my junior year, his senior. She was new to the area and in my class. She sat next to me in third period. I was instantly attracted. She was gorgeous, and we talked a bit. I invited her to lunch with me and my brother and our friends, and he fell for her too. I was the one who actually dated her first. Nothing too serious. He was so jealous. And then when she broke up with me, she started dating him just a few weeks later. She told me years later during our affair that she had cheated on me with him. It was all so messy for so long. Does that make what I did later okay? No. But it was complicated. One woman in love with two brothers and two brothers in love with her. They ended up going to the same college. I moved clear across the country to get away from them. They got engaged and then married. I barely saw them for a few years. But then an illness in the family followed by a job opportunity brought me back home. And the old feelings I had for her, feelings that never really left, they returned. And so it began. The only good news, they didn't have any children to make it all even messier. While it was happening, I hated myself for what I was doing. I hated her a bit too. And I hated my brother, who never cared about her as much as I did. After he caught us, he told me he never wanted to see me again. And now it was his turn to move across the country. She and I stayed together, but it was doomed. My old flame now represented the loss of my brother and the weight of that, the weight of what we had done, ruined any chance we could ever have to have a healthy relationship. 
For about a year, we kept trying to date, driven mostly by habit and the echoes of old feelings. But it wasn't meant to last, and we both knew it. So we agreed to split up, for good. And I haven't seen her since. Six years after he found out when he hadn't even turned 40 yet, my brother died unexpectedly. A car accident. He was so young, so healthy. And now he was gone. His funeral ended up being open casket. His face hadn't been too damaged in the crash. It was so surreal seeing him again, seeing him like that, dead. It was the first time I'd seen him since the day he found out what I'd done. He was so angry at me that day. Of course he was. The last thing he said to me, I'll never forget, go to hell. And he meant it. And then when I looked at his face at his funeral, it felt like his eyes looked just like they had on that day, so full of hurt and rage. It felt like his eyes were still telling me to go to hell. When they lowered him into the earth, I felt like his corpse wanted to pull me down into the dirt with him. I kept thinking about his eyes and the way I felt when I saw his remains. Partially, I felt sad. I felt grief. I was grieving. Even though it had been so long since we talked, I still missed him. He was still my brother. I still wanted him back. I had been holding on to some kind of hope that maybe someday, even if I couldn't make things right again, we could maybe still have something. But sadness and grief were not all I felt. I felt scared. I knew he'd wanted revenge of some kind. He wanted me to pay for what I'd done to him. He wanted me to suffer. But I hadn't suffered. Not at all. I'd thrived. Living proof that karma wasn't real, or so I'd thought. My career exploded after he left town. I grew what was a small business into several locations and was making more money than I'd ever thought possible. I bought a nice house in the best neighborhood in the area, a nice boat, several luxury cars. I made a number of lucrative investments and dated some really amazing women. I traveled around the world. I never settled down, still haven't. Peter Pan syndrome, some call it. Or maybe I'm just afraid that someone will do to me what I did to him. My brother, he so badly wanted to watch my life crumble, but it didn't happen. Not while he was alive, at least. His life, it didn't go well at all. He never remarried, never had kids, and I knew he wanted them badly. He bounced from one dead-end job to another, and he became, from what I heard, a pretty miserable, bitter, hateful person. And he blamed me for his transformation. And when I saw his dead body, when I was near his casket, when they lowered it into the ground, I could feel his hate. He still wanted me to suffer. I could sense that so strongly. His spirit had not strayed far from his corpse. I was relieved when it was finally over. After I left his service, I went nearby to a bookstore with a coffee shop inside and killed a few hours until I was sure everyone else had left. I told my family I wanted to be alone for the rest of the day. Then I went back to his grave. When it was just he and I, I told him I was sorry. I was so, so sorry, and I would take it back if I could. I cried, I sobbed, I cursed myself for my selfishness and asked if he could hear me, if he could please forgive me. And when I did, the very moment I asked, the second the last word came out of my mouth, the coldest wind I've ever felt cut through me like a knife. I gasped from the shock of its suddenness and how it felt. And in addition to the wind, I could feel him. I could see his eyes in my mind again, his dead face. He was watching me. He had heard me. And now I knew his answer. There would be no forgiveness, not ever. He still needed me to suffer. 
The next few weeks, things around my house, they felt different, especially at night. It felt like I wasn't alone. I'd walk into a room, and it was like someone else had just left it, someone who might be waiting in the next room, waiting to sneak back in, maybe. Someone watching me when my back was turned. I kept flashing on my brother in these moments, thinking about him being the one watching me, thinking about his face from the funeral, his eyes. And then a month or so after he died, I had the first nightmare. In this dream, I'd have it so, so many more times. I would be sleeping in my bed, and then wake up to hearing the front door slam shut. Bam! Someone was in the house. I could hear their footsteps, loud, almost like they were stomping. I now climb out of bed and yell, Who's there? I'm calling the police. I have a gun. But they don't answer. The footsteps don't even break their pace. Now they're heading up the stairs towards my room. I grab a handgun from my nightstand. I put a bullet in the chamber. I point it towards the door as the handle turns and the door swings open. A man is standing in the door frame, glaring at me. His presence is menacing. It's my brother. He looks like his body is beginning to rot. His skin looks yellow. His eyes are sunken a bit into his head, but they are still so full of rage, of hate. And he has the slightest hint of a smile upon his face. He's enjoying this. Enjoying the fear he sees in me. He starts to march forward. I scream with the gun still pointed towards him. I yell, stop! Don't make me do this! But he doesn't stop. And so I fire. But the bullet has no effect. Doesn't slow him down in the slightest. I fire again and again and again and again. Until there are no more bullets. He grabs the gun and tosses it aside. Then he grabs me. I can't stop him. He's so strong. He throws me down on the floor and I feel his cold hands wrap around my throat and start to squeeze. I can't breathe. He's crushing my neck. And all the while, he still flashes that slight smile and stares deep into my eyes. Finally, finally he gets to truly watch me suffer. To die. To pay for what I did. And then right as my vision goes black as I'm about to lose consciousness, I lunge up in bed awake and gasping for air. My throat hurts and I'm drenched in sweat. It was all just a dream. Well, it was a dream, but maybe not just a dream. Why did my throat hurt? Why when I got up and looked at myself in the bathroom mirror could I see red marks on my neck? Why did it feel like someone was still in the house? That dream, it really rattled me. I had a lot of trouble falling asleep the next few nights. And now the energy in the house felt worse than ever. Still, after about a week, I had mostly moved past it. But then a few weeks later, I had the same dream again. Same exact dream, except maybe my brother looked slightly worse than before. Like he would after spending a few more weeks in his casket. I still woke up gasping for air. I again had marks upon my neck. And I had trouble falling asleep for the next few nights. And then things, more or less, went back to how they were. Heavy energy in the house. Feeling of being watched. Of something having just left or maybe still being in the room. I'm more rattled than the first time, but it's still manageable. I can still go to work, still date, still run my life. But then I have the nightmare a third time. And this time, when I wake up gasping for air and drenched in sweat, the terror starts to repeat. I wake up gasping for air, and then, thinking I'm awake, I hear the front door slam again. I hear the loud, almost stomping footsteps coming towards me once more. I again grab my gun. I feel so awake. Whoever's in my house is walking up the stairs. I put a bullet in the chamber again. The door opens. My brother is once more standing there in the doorway. I scream again. Stop. Don't make me do this. He marches towards me as I empty the magazine. He chokes me, his hate-filled eyes boring holes into me. I start to lose consciousness for the second time that night, and then I wake up again, 
gasping for breath a third time, covered in sweat, my throat throbbing. But now it's all a bit different. I'm not in my bed. I'm down on the floor. And I hear the front door slam for a third time. I'm the most afraid I've ever felt. Am I trapped in this nightmare? Am I dreaming or awake? This time I scream, leave me alone! My scream doesn't slow down my brother. He marches towards the stairs and up them. I open the nightstand. My gun is not there. Where is it? It's lying on the floor next to me. How did it get there? I grab it and go to put a bullet in the chamber, but there is no bullet. The magazine's empty. Down the hall come the footsteps. The handle twists. The door swings open. My brother is back, and he marches towards me yet again. I know I can't defend myself. I close my eyes and bury my head and neck against my chest as I curl up into a fetal position and chant over and over, No, 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 no! I don't know how long I do this, but when I dare to look up, he's gone. And the first hint of dawn can be seen outside through my blinds. It's over. For now. After opening the blinds fully and turning on the lights, I see white dust on the hallway floor. When I examine it's sheetrock dust, and I see where it's come from, a series of small fresh holes in the wall. Bullet holes. I was awake for the second dream. At least kind of. No more gun, I decide. It won't stop a ghost anyhow, and what if my brother or my own subconscious, if that's what you want to think is happening here, decides to point it at me and pull the trigger. I've never been the same since that night. For the next few years, sometimes I wouldn't have the dream, which now at least doesn't feature the gun, for a month or two. Other times I'd have seven or eight nights in a row. Sometimes it would just loop through once. Other times it must have looped ten or more times, and I'd be tempted to check myself into a psychiatric facility when I finally thought I was probably awake. My hold on reality would feel really, really loose. My life became unmanageable. I couldn't date anymore. I started losing weight. Too much weight. I couldn't focus on work and run my business. As time passed, my brother appeared more and more skeletal, more and more decomposed. Everything had rotted but the eyes. The eyes have never rotted enough to lose their sense of menace and hate. I had more and more trouble sleeping as time went on. I tried prescription sleeping pills, weed, NyQuil, you name it. Nothing really helped. The stress of it all, I started drinking. To relax, shut my mind down, it didn't help. So I started drinking more. It still didn't help. Now I'm pretty sure I'm an alcoholic. And the last year has been the worst by far. Now sometimes I see him in addition to my dreams during the day. Sometimes at work. I might pop into my office, shut the door, and let loose a shocked scream when I see him standing just a few feet away. I might be speaking with an employee, and soon they're asking me what's wrong, looking concerned. I'm looking behind them, staring at my dead brother who's staring back at me. All of this is not good for business. And business starts to suffer more. I can't focus on anything. I'm irrational, defensive, constantly distracted. I'm very, very close to having a full breakdown. I'm close to doing something really drastic just to make it all finally end. Two weeks ago, I had one of the most terrifying experiences yet. I finally decided to call the girl we both loved. The connection to what tore our relationship apart and led to him hating me and then haunting me. I'm not totally sure why I waited so long. I didn't even know if I still had the right number for her, but she answered. After a few pleasantries, the basic how-have-you-been stuff, I asked her if anything strange had been happening to her the past few years. If she'd been having nightmares or seen anything. And after a long pause, she spoke in a voice that started changing. What kind of nightmares? Nightmares about your brother showing up, walking up the stairs, choking you to death over and over? I was hearing my brother's voice. You will suffer! I dropped the phone as the line went dead. It took me a full day to get the courage up to try and call her back. 
This time, no one answered. I got a message that the number you have dialed is no longer in service. It wasn't her number anymore. I've since found out she moved away a few years ago. I don't even know how to get a hold of her now. I wonder, is she also being tormented? Did she leave to try and escape at all? Finally, yesterday, something even more terrifying occurred. It's what made me decide to write all of this down because honestly, I can't take much more. I'm not sure I'll still be around to write anything if something worse happens. It was the middle of the day, warm and sunny. The house didn't feel as ominous as usual. Since the phone call, I hadn't had any nightmares and my guard was starting to fall down. Now I know that was intentional. It must have been. At around 3 p.m., there was a knock at the door, a friendly knock, like a neighbor or a salesman. When I looked through the peephole, I could see a man, some guy about my size and my age, white guy with light brown hair, clean cut. He was facing in the opposite direction. Nothing about the situation read as threatening or off, so I opened the door. When I did, the man spun around, and it was my brother. But not looking like some skeletal wraith, he looked as, as alive as you or I. He looked like he did before everything got so twisted. Even his eyes were normal, friendly seeming. The surrealness of it all made me feel literally dizzy. It was so disorienting. Hey, brother. He spoke like he'd never died, like there was no bad blood between us. Mind if I come in? He started to step forward and I stumbled back. He continued moving forward, right on into the house, and then shut the door gently behind him. I'm sorry. I stammered, I'm sorry for ruining everything. Now he didn't look so friendly. His eyes grew dark and cold. His skin started to yellow. You will suffer. I have been suffering for years now. You ruined my life, he screamed. I'm sorry, I wish I could take it all back, I yelled. Nothing was ever good again, nothing. But everything worked fine for you. Not anymore, you know that. You know you've been tormenting me enough. By now, this thing that used to be my brother, his flesh was falling off in rancid clumps. Maggots and other insects were crawling in and out of his rotting body. His eyes were black. His energy was pure evil. He grabbed me by the neck and slammed me into the wall as he started to choke. His face pressed within inches of mine, and he whispered, You will suffer. It will be enough when you join me in the dirt. And then he vanished. Once again, my throat hurt and red marks covered my neck. Now he can choke me during the day, not just when I'm asleep. No dreams are necessary. I'm never safe. He could be coming for me right now as I write this. And I never know when he won't stop choking me. When will he finish me off? I'm not a religious man, but should I talk to a priest? Would they even believe me? Should I commit myself to some kind of institution? No one else ever sees him. Is it all in my head? Should I beat him to the punch and just end it all? I'm sure that whatever I do will cause me to suffer far less than whatever he might have in store for me. Eek. Eek. It's pretty good you don't have any brothers. <laughs> Ooh. You have, yeah, you're writing some stuff down on that one. Yeah, I just have like so many things. Well, first of all, I'm so irritated with him for not, for as smart as he is, mm-hmm. like you, you're waiting this long to consider contacting a priest? Yeah. I'm like, you idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, like the priest, uh, an exorcism, Some, a something. smoke cleansing, crystals, a spiritual healer. I don't know. Move. Maybe guilt or something. Uh, I don't know, but I would be trying a lot of things other than just staying at home and keeping my routine the same. Because mm-hmm. I almost get the feeling that the ghost or of his brother is just, you know, going where he knows that his brother is. And probably feeding off of his torment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, what do you mean you can't find the girl? Get out of here. Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, I don't know when this, he doesn't make it clear in the story, like when this 
happened? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't the 1900s. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like in, in modern times and the yeah. way that it's written and he's entrepreneur yeah. and just like all these different things. I'm like, eh, I'm going to go with there is a way to find her. Mm. I don't know. He's got all this money. Get a private detective. Find out if she's having the same things. Where are their parents? Are they seeing him? Like, I just oh, yeah. feel like there's a lot of unanswered questions. And again, for someone who is so smart in business, he seems real dumb in life. Also, also, my cousin yeah. is married to this girl yeah. that my brother used to date. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I yeah. want to like, like name names. But I, I'm like, that is so weird that he and her dated hooked mm-hmm, up all mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. for a while she would come to family functions as his significant <laughs> yeah. other they break up she not only dates but marries my cousin yeah yeah and yeah. now my sister-in-law i'm like how do you reconcile that huh? let me tell good you for them i mean everybody's happy so yes i <laughs> yeah, guess yeah, yeah. good for them but like i'm not that big of a person <laughs> uh, oh i guess i am i hang out with your ex-wife all the time yeah yeah you do a good job with that so you know uh, no picks accompany this story, but uh, but this f- is from The Walking Dead, uh, and it's what I imagine the dead brother kind of looking like after the nightmare's gone on for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Is it's like okay, I, I was really proud of him for getting rid of the gun. That was yeah. that was the one smart thing that I thought. You know, when yeah. he woke up and he saw the bullet holes in the um in the sheetrock, like mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. yep, 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 yep. Because I did have a moment of like, is this just sleep paralysis? But then, oh, obviously yeah, yeah, not yeah. when it's you know happening. During well, and it the could day. be sleepwalking. It could be a form of sleepwalking, but which is you know makes it that much more dangerous when yeah. you're having those like lucid dreams and you're actually moving and doing things, but in a in a dream state. I mean, do you think it's possible that at some point the brothers? corpse deteriorates so much that there's nothing to come back because it's like it sounds mm. like every time he sees his brother yeah he is more decomposed than the last time uh, that's what i, I was crossing know. my fingers for. i was like come on just completely turn into dust uh-huh just starts to crumble is it yeah i don't i don't know i don't know but yes like why did you you he needs to call a priest yeah he needs to do something something mm-hmm. where i don't know strands of garlic and Salt the doorways, like get yeah. creative. I, I wonder if it was like a se- partially like a self punishment thing. Like he feels like it's what he deserves, yeah, on some level, and maybe doesn't reach out for help partially because of that. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Let's like backpedal to the not paranormal part of this. Yeah. That is a really messed up thing to do. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Basically, Big time. My my opinion. Yeah. Is that she loved them both. And they all should have like decided like, you know, none of us should be together. Right. Because that's the only way, because not only is the the problem with her dating and marrying one of them and then having the affair and blah, blah, the whole thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like a very weird incestuous situation. You're not only going to harm the lives of the brothers, but like everyone else in the family, mm, the parents, yeah, yeah, the grandparents, yeah, yeah. the yeah, aunts, a lot the of uncles. Damage. Yeah. On both sides. True. True. A lot. Yeah. That's the thing about affairs. Very selfish. Affairs are wildly selfish. Yeah, especially in particular this one. Yeah, no, they're always selfish. Yes, yes, yes. But it's like there's an added element of yeah, 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 yeah. It's just unnecessary. Yeah, I don't know. And like, if if you really think that, I can think what killed me about the actual affair piece of it is that in the end, no one is with her. So to me, I'm like, well, then she, you were neither of those guys were the love of her life Mm. because. On occasion, an affair happens and then the person moves on and is with that person forever. And it's like, listen, was it a really messy way in which we came together and did we hurt a lot of people? Absolutely. But we've now been together for 50 years. It like, yeah, time are those stories. Time can heal that wound to some degree. Yeah. But I don't know. 
I'm not sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe she was sent here by the devil. <laughs> uh, that was you... a good story. It was oh, a thanks. very interesting, kind of a wild, cool, and interesting tale. <laughs> Are you ready to leave what you just heard behind for a tale of a bit of true crime history and the haunting that followed? Mm, sure. Before we meet Lavinia Fisher, it is time for our In Between Stories sponsor break. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Quite a bit of setup on this one uh, before we get into a little bit of the paranormal stuff. Is she Lavinia the Leprechaun? I don't think she's Leprechaun. Oh, shoot. Uh, Lavinia Fisher was the uh, first woman to be executed in the state of South Carolina. She's often labeled as being the first female serial killer in the, in the U.S., hmm. although this has been disproven by historical records. Lavinia was born in 1793. She married a man named John Fisher, and they lived near Charleston, South Carolina, where they ran an inn called Six Mile Wayfarer House, located appropriately five or six miles outside of the city. No way. <laughs> and according to the serial killer legend, many of John Lavinia's male guests went missing and were never seen or heard from again. The missing persons reports started piling up. Then some local authorities discovered that the men were last seen at Six Mile Wayfarer House. Lavinia Fisher was a, a popular woman in the city of Charleston, considered uh, exceptionally beautiful, and many suspected that she used her feminine charms to draw men in, get them to stay the night at the inn, their last night. Although authorities were suspicious of the Fishers, they didn't have any evidence that they were involved in the disappearances. Both Fishers were popular figures in the city, which helped put off suspicion for a while. But as more and more men continued to disappear, more and more rumors started to spread that the Fishers were involved and somebody had to do something. Then on February 20th, 1819, a man named John Peoples stopped at the inn during his trip from Georgia to Charleston. At first, he was told that there were no rooms available, but he stayed anyway for a cup of tea and a meal. And as he ate, Lavinia suddenly told them that they did have space, and he accepted a room for the night. Peoples poured his cup out when Lavinia wasn't looking. Uh, he'd become suspicious of the sheer number of questions she was asking him and of her husband's strange looks. That night, he decided to sleep in a chair, keep watch by the door, and in the middle of the night, he later claimed that he watched as his bed disappeared into some kind of hole in the floor. Knowing it was a trap, he fled out the window and went to the local authorities. John, Lavinia, and two others were soon arrested. The authorities searched the inn and did indeed find hidden passages, items belonging to missing travelers, and even some tea laced with poison. They also found a mechanism that opened the floorboards under the bed. Most disturbingly, hundreds of sets of human remains were reportedly found in the basement. Now, there are two popular versions of how the Fishers may have killed their supposed victims. In the first, Lavinia gave visitors a cup of poison tea, and then once they went to bed, her husband John stabbed them and stole their possessions. In the second, Lavinia still gives the visitors a cup of tea, but once they're asleep, she pulls a lever that causes their bed to collapse and sends them falling into a pit filled with spikes. John and Lavinia were taken to the old Charleston jail, and they were convicted and sentenced to death in early February 1920. At that time, it was illegal to hang a married woman, so they, they hanged John first, so Lavinia would be a widow for her execution. <laughs> That's a weird loophole. On February 18th, 1820, the Fishers were taken from the Charleston jail to the gallows. John, who had spent his time talking to a local reverend, prayed with the minister and asked him to read a letter to the crowd of 2,000 people. The letter professed his innocence. John then asked for forgiveness before he was executed. Lavinia refused to walk, had to be carried to the gallows. She was reportedly asked to, uh, she also reportedly asked to wear her wedding dress to the execution and ranted against Charleston socialites. Before he had been executed, John had pleaded with his wife to make peace with God, but instead Lavinia now yelled into the crowd, cease, I will have none of it. Save your words for others that want them. 
But if you have a message you want sent to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. And then she jumped off the scaffold before the executioner could do his job. Onlookers would say they had never seen such a wicked stare or chilling sneer as that which was on 27-year-old Lavinia's face while she jumped. While this story is certainly dramatic and interesting, most of it is not true. Oh. Historical records do not indicate that hundreds of human remains were found in the inn's basement. In fact, a search team found nothing but a slaughtered cow, and before setting a six-mile wayfarer house and its outbuildings on fire, the Fishers were never charged with any murders. Lavinia is almost certainly not the first female serial killer in the U.S., although the legend persists. But it does seem that she was a thief. A Charleston posse had formed because men were being robbed and cheated at several inns in the area, and a man named Stephen Lacoste reported that his cow had been recently stolen. John Peoples never witnessed the infamous death trap in his room, but he did submit an affidavit stating that John and Lavinia were part of a gang that had beat him and threatened him. He claimed that he was attacked by nine or ten persons who he could not identify, but a woman was among the group. He was able to get away, uh, but he was followed by two men on horseback and robbed at gunpoint. He later identified John Fisher, Lavinia Fisher, and an accomplice in a lineup. Another man, David Ross, also reported being robbed and brutally beaten at Lavinia's Inn. On January 17, 1820, John and Lavinia were convicted of common assault and assault with the intent to murder against David Ross, and they were convicted of highway robbery. Robbery was punishable by death in the early 19th century. The pair were executed February 18, 1820. Lavinia did put up a protest. Not likely she wore her wedding dress to her execution, though. Almost immediately after Lavinia's execution, reports of paranormal encounters began to surface. Time now for the tale of Lavinia's ghosts. Perhaps as early as the same day she died, there were reports of her ghostly face distinctly appearing behind the window bars where she was held in the old jail. After the great earthquake of 1886, there were reports of her appar apparition wandering around various Charleston neighborhoods. Her spirit was spotted numerous times in the Union Cemetery, just a few blocks away from the jail. She was also spotted in Potter's Field, where Lavinia was actually buried, now part of the Medical University of South Carolina. In 1922, the Yorkville Inquirer reported that the Charleston Museum displayed Lavinia Fisher's skeleton, but it was then removed because it was, quote, out of order. What does that mean? It seems as if the museum may have had trouble with her remains. The energy they gave off frightened both staff and guests. And while they were on display, strange sounds were heard and a shadowy apparition sighted. And her apparition wasn't the only one. The old Charleston jail where Lavinia was held served as the county jail from 1802 to 1939. The property had been used as a public space since the 1600s and was used as a jail even before the old jail was built. There were many executions and other torturous punishments doled out at the old jail over the centuries, including whippings, branding, tortures, starvation, burning at the stake, and hangings. An estimated 10,000 total people died during the jail's operation. The jail was mostly abandoned from, six, from 1939 to 2000 when the College of the Building Arts acquired the building. Uh, new reports of paranormal activity in the jail started during the building's restoration. Workers reported finding footprints in the dust, even though the building was locked up for months due to lead paint contamination. Apparitions were cited by numerous people. Some workers reported seeing the ghost of a jailer carrying a rifle on the third floor. They watched him pass through the bars, and he turned and acted as if he was going to charge at them, but then suddenly vanished into thin air. There are also reports of a man in ragged clothing wandering through the jail. Others hear strange noises like the dumb waiter moving by itself, alarms going off without any provocation. Visitors who come for tours report feeling like they are short of breath and choking on the main staircase. 
Some have claimed to have been grabbed, pushed, or scratched. One tour guide left a rope, uh, or felt a rope, wrap around her ankle, and one male visitor had his sunglasses knocked off his face. There are also phantom odors, temperature drops, and doors that open and close on their own. And the jail is still haunted by the infamous spirit of Lavinia Fisher, it seems, who is reportedly often seen wearing a red and white wedding dress. Covered in blood. Mm-hmm. Blood. There will be blood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my best friend, you know, married into the Fisher family. And oh, I just like, kept yeah. I was like, come on, take this story to Michigan where I know they're from. <laughs> Probably not the same. It's like, yeah. I think Fisher's like Smith. Yeah, pretty common. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. A little bit of I, history there. Well, yeah, and I like the... Um, I mean, I I like the tall tale that mm-hmm. evolved from it. I'm like, a trap door? I know. They always take it too far in those tall tales where it's like, oh, okay. All right. I can see that. You know, I can see them sitting up, waiting with yep, a shotgun waiting, in hand or something. Stabbing them, putting their bodies in the basement, something like that. But then when they go to like, and then the guy saw his bed get swallowed up into the floor, especially at an inn at this time. I know. I'm like, wrong nah, here. Nah, come on. Get out of here. Also, I was like, ooh, that sounds like bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. That sounds like a weird take on a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> Floating beds, bed knobs, and broomsticks. Uh Do you have pictures? I do. Okay. Uh, This first one's an old photo that is not of Lavinia since she died a few years before the world's first photographs were taken, but this photo is widely used to depict her. It's never said, but like in most articles, this is presented as a photo of Lavinia, which is literally impossible. So just... um, (laughs) So just adding more lies to the tale. (laughs) And then this is another image commonly associated with Lavinia, this uh, painting. So maybe somebody's... uh, More accurate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a pic of the old Charleston jail where she was held before being hanged. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I know. And then this is another cool pic of the jail. I mean, is it, that a current photo? Yeah, I believe it's, uh, I believe that's how it looks today or, you know, roughly. Huh. I'll be damned. Yeah. And it's been there for so long. I'm sure like, you know, many iterations of the building over the years. Do you know what they use the building for now? Anything? I cannot remember. I think it is in use finally again. And I can't remember what it's in use for. Did you say something about like a college? Yeah, it might it, it, it might be part of the school, but I can't remember for sure. Oh my God. What if, what if that's your dorm? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I mean, yeah. And then one more exterior shot. This time at night. That's just a great pick, I think. Yeah. Somebody just nailed this pick with the moon in the background. Well, and like just... Uh, if oh, and there's one more interior shot. Sorry. If you can't, if you're not good at drawing, but you want to draw a haunted house of sorts, ah. like that's that like top where it's like... You know, bup, 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 no, yeah, just like that's the nice exactly what you would draw. Yeah. No, it's like, even got the red window there to the right side. Oh yeah, oh yeah, good catch, Logie. No, I mean the top, Dan, like the this the roof. Oh yes, like, that, like, like the castle kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Can't remember what that's called. Me either. Teeth. And then this finally an interior shot. One of the cell windows, Lavinia's ghost, uh, was apparently spotted looking out of. Man, I'm so scared of jail. I know these old jails in particular, which is like all the stone, stone floor, stone wall, stone bars, no comforts of any cold, kind, cold, 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 yeah, no heat, no AC, it just particularly dreadful to be stuck in one of these places. You can see that it looks like this has been modernized to some degree because I feel like I see electricity running. Oh yeah, the metal yep, boxes. exactly. Uh huh. They added the the outlets there, which I mean makes sense if the, if they're utilizing the building in any capacity. Totally. Okay. How the hell do you steal a cow? Uh, I think it's pretty. I think you just walk up to it and just take it from somebody else's property to your property. I just think it's like it's so big. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, you're not doing it like stealth, uh, other than probably at night. Yeah, and, and making sure there's no one's around. But I mean, but cattle thieves—that was a huge part of the West. You know, they would take. I mean, oftentimes they would take people's cows and take them far, far away. They would just drive them far away, and then people would hunt them down, like bounty hunters. And if they found them, they would hang them for cattle thievery. That was like a huge crime. <laughs> I know, I know, but I was just thinking about it in this like absurd sort of way, where it's like you just get this one cow and you just steal <laughs> it. You just they like put it in a bag and throw it over your shoulder. Like cows are so massive. <laughs> You're going to be caught. No, yeah, you just I, I think you hope in a situation like this that you you walk it over to your place, butcher it quickly, you know, get rid of the uh remains that would have any trace of like a, a branding, mm-hmm. like the skin, get rid of that, and then just keep the meat, probably like salt the meat and all that kind of stuff. That's I mean, like a it lot would be so it would be so valuable quickly. back of course. then, just so much food. Yes, but like difficult to steal a cow and butcher it quickly. Yeah, yeah difficult difficult to hide it, I think, once you got it stolen. Yeah. But again, I think so easy to steal it because cows, I don't think cows are really like loyal in the sense of like, oh, that's my person. Oh, yeah. I'm going to walk over with them. Oh, this isn't my person. Straight like a dog. Yeah. Like the, the, I think there's like person <laughs> and then just like go where the person <laughs> like takes them. Okay, last question before <laughs> I go into my half of the story. Yeah. Let's, let's just... Take all emotion out of it. Mm-hmm. You've been sentenced to death. You're going to be executed, but you're okay. allowed to have the execution of your choice. What do you choose? Oh, like you can be like electrocuted, hanged, like a variety of like any kind of method. Any method you want. Hmm. If it if it's anything, I don't know. I mean, they all they're all going to suck. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe shot out of a can- cannon. Some. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to like it's like a fly through the air at the end before I splat. <laughs> It'd be exciting. It'd be like really fun right before I died. That is the last thing that I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody. Why were we talking about this? Oh, I think it's when we were in Texas. We, uh, maybe we were at in San Antonio and they were talking about like old stories of people dying by suicide by jumping out of windows, like right above the theater and like getting like, like oh, very like, yeah. ugh, like getting hung up on the marquee and this whole thing. Right. And I was we were talking about dying in that manner and like the moment you jump the the jump the yeah. i'm sorry the distance from the jump to the ground is like just long enough for you to be like oh shit right and so right. when you say shot out of a can i'm like you're going to have a little bit too much time to think i, I mean just, i mean it's still going to suck but it's like i but, want an overdose just like shoot me up with a fuck ton of like meth mm. or heroin so i'm like really happy oh. and then i'm gone combo uh combo challenge yeah heroin plus cannon just fly through the air as high as shit. Okay. And, and like a really like, you know, feel good Nirvana kind of vibe going on. And it's like we, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I've not done heroin from what I've heard. I'm pretty sure you could do enough heroin to still be conscious, but feel so good that you wouldn't really care you're about to splat. Well, I would like to be so high that I'm like getting high, 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 high. And then it's like too much and the high kills me. Mm, but like yeah, on yeah, my yeah. way there, I'm like, this is awesome. And the moment I'm like, this is not over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Ugh, ugh. What a terrible, terrible way to die. Getting shot out of cannon? No, being executed. I hear Logan. Yeah, yeah, that too, Dan. That too. I think being hanged would be terrible. Like you have these onlookers. Slow. Yeah, I, I think with unless that, you're ne- unless well, your neck snaps. That's what you're hoping. I mean, and, and I have just which, because which is of probably time why sucked, she jumped. Oh yeah, maybe to try and that like, would be more edit. force. Yeah, and I and, and I just from all the executions I've read about, just from time suck and stuff in the olden days, it's like 
sometimes it would go clean. Sometimes the drop would be enough where their neck would snap pretty immediately and then they're dead. But Especially if you're like a heavy guy. But if you're, I bet if you're a less weighty like woman or like a thin right. man. Well, and they would oftentimes construct gallows kind of quickly. Sometimes it'd be a dedicated gallows. Sometimes not. Sometimes they'd have a dedicated executioner. Oftentimes, oftentimes excuse me, just like a posse leader. It, it would be something like you're on the back of a horse. Your the rope is thrown over a branch of a tree around, and then they just like smack the horse, get the horse to run. That drop, you're just going to strangle. You're just going to lay there uh, for a minute or two, probably. Your neck's not going to break. Okay. Would you rather? Yeah. Face the guillotine or face the gallows? Well, the gallows w- w- would have the guillotine. Like you mean, like be hanged? Uh, be hanged. hanged? Yeah. Um, I just liked the double G. I was going for a <laughs> thing there, Dan. <laughs> um. Okay, the macabre part of me would pick guillotine because from what I understand of guillotines and the, if it's done well, if it slices very cleanly, uh-huh. the, the risk with the guillotine is that the blade isn't weighted enough or sharp enough. And there have been cases where people have had to have numerous chops to get their head cut off. That would suck. If it's a really fast, clean cut. So if you've the, seen them do this on other people and you're like, okay, yeah. two thumbs up. Theoretically, your head would still be living for a few moments and would be rolling around and you'd be had this, the most surreal experience where you're looking back at your own body from a distance. Wouldn't that be wild? So that'd be an interesting final experience. Can they, have they proved that like when that happens, when mm-hmm. it's clean and let's just say that your head happens to look back at your body, <laughs> that, your, that your brain is functioning enough to understand I mean, I don't no, even know that you they, can like scientifically prove that. They so can, it's not like they've done that and then been like, oh, yeah, yeah, when that happened to me last week. No, but they know like how long your brain can function, like when it doesn't have blood, when it doesn't right. have uh, air. I mean, this extreme thing, but you, you would be functioning for a little bit. Like how it, it reminds me of like when uh, you unplug a printer and it, and it still works for like three seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, it's three a seconds. Bit of leftover isn't too juice. Bad. Okay, three seconds. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't, but I don't know how long it would be. There's anecdotal stuff of, you know, like, could think, you feel the pain? Like, I just... Um, I don't know. I don't know. I have a lot of questions about beheadings. Yeah. Yeah. I know I know that no one's lived long enough for them to be interviewed about their experience. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it like? What is it? How are you doing right now? Uh, I mean, not bad. Head on a stick. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's like a Monty Python sketch. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Well, are you ready to settle in for one... Really big story. I am. I got a, a new little yellow Layla. You know, sometimes what I like about these I wish these you Laylas, had a green Layla. Oh, yeah. I should have thought that. We um, don't have any. Green doesn't exist. Sometimes what I like about these is every once in a while, my arm gets a little carpal tunnel just from like lots of typing. Don't try and take my ailments from I'm me not, and I'm claim not. them as your own. I'm not. But um, but it's, it's very, it feels really good to squish these guys. It's like a little rehab exercise. And then my arm will be fine in a while. Oh, okay. I, I can see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they give me like the, um, like a putty. To do yeah, yeah. exercises with. Ah, what good. you're supposed to do too is you're supposed to like roll the putty out. Yep. <laughs> roll Layla around. So l- roll her around and that's supposed to help. This is rehab Layla today. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay before we dive in. I just needed to. Yeah. I, we were in San Antonio and you know, I don't know if they have these in the men's restroom, but in the women's restroom, there's always these signs about human trafficking. Mm. Are they in the men's restroom? No, in the men's restroom has a companion sign that just says get them. You can do it. <laughs> I hate you. But they, they don't have them in the middle. No. Uh, I, I well, imagine, I imagine that in they, airports, yes, they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's what I mean, do. in airports. They do. they do. I was thinking for a second, like, maybe they don't because no, they're do. probably the people doing it. Okay. <laughs> so on this sign, it tells, like, the universal hand signal for help, which is 
this and then it's this and this repeated twice, like like over over. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. I came out Putting of nothing. Fingers I, over your thumb. I was yeah. like, we need to talk because this is also a rehab exercise that I have to do. Right. And now I and I do this in public all the time. So then Lindsay and then started people to look do like you. Uh-huh. So Lindsay then started, I was like, stop. Because then Lindsay started doing the signal for help. No, is, I was doing my, I was like, this is my know, rehab exercise. I know, but as you're explaining it, I can hear you explaining it. But people from a distance just see you next to me and you giving the literal symbol that they just learned of like, please help on being human trafficked. <laughs> they need to, they need to reevaluate either the signal or carpal tunnel rehab exercises. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm going to talk to my physical therapist about this tomorrow be like did you know this because it's like uncannily similar and i've been on airplanes and i've seen other people like doing their carpal tunnel exercises and now i'm going to be freaked out when i see it yes okay we had a great time in texas too by the way so thanks to everybody who came to uh, san antonio and dallas and had fun sneaking in a dinner with um cody garrett and brandon herrera and uh heather Heather lynn Lynn. and got a tattoo with will xx do you want to show off your magician uh, it's, it's hard to see because it's hard to see dark. But he got the down. magician tarot, tarot card. card. Yeah, which I'll, Dan I'll, Dan rebranded as the bad magician. <laughs> I'll have to put it on socials eventually. Yeah, no, Texas yeah. was awesome. Other than it was freezing. I know there was a cold. It was literally like forty degrees, which was like ten degrees here. But it was funny to leave like the cold snap here and be like, okay, we're going somewhere warm. And then they're like, oh, you should have been here yesterday. It was seventy five. Because I brought little dresses <laughs> and no jacket. And then they're like, oh, and the day after you guys leave, it's going to hit eighty five. It's okay. When we go to New Orleans, it's going to be hot. Hot, 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 hot. All right. Back to the the scary stories. Can you take me seriously? Should I take this off for my scary story? I can take you seriously. Okay. Uh, Okay. So like I was saying before, it's been a long time, I think, since I've told just like one big tale. I think so. And so I'm excited about that. I think this story is really well written and it's, I, there's a lot of like little details along the way. The ending wraps it up, puts a bow on it. Really nice. And my favorite part about all of it is that it very much has this feeling of like, oh, that could definitely happen to me. Like I can see myself in this experience and walking away with the same like, holy shit. Yeah. So that's, that's fun when you can immerse yourself and it doesn't feel too far removed from your reality. Yeah. So off we go. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. I'm a longtime listener and a longtime lover of all things horror. I really appreciate your podcast, and I've been meaning to send in my story for a few years now. I'm happy to finally get this one sent over. As a child, I would beg my grandmother and great-grandmother to tell me the ghost stories from their respective childhoods in South Houston and Mexico. I watched all of the Ghost Hunter TV shows long before they were cool, and I always was on the lookout for something spooky in the real world. My first encounter with the supernatural occurred when I was just in the second grade. My love for all things ghostly was so great that my parents bought me a Ouija board for Christmas that year. I took it out of the box as soon as we were done opening gifts and went outside to try it out with three of my cousins. In the first few minutes of playing, the board began to curse at us spelling fuck and bitch and every other word and stating that its address was 666 when we asked where it was from. We ran back into the house to tell our parents what the board was saying. They took it from us immediately and I never saw it again. I think all of the adults assumed that my eldest cousin, Tony, was playing a trick on his younger cousins, but he was only one year older than me in the third grade. And I think Mm. even if he had been older and an angsty preteen, he would have had had trouble committing to the level of gratuitous foul language the board had exhibited. That last experience I had outside of the occasional cold spot or eerie feeling before that, oh, that was the last experience I had outside of the occasional cold spot or eerie feeling before this series of events. 
It all started with a Haunted Places of Houston tour I took with a group of friends when I was just 20. The tour itself was more fun than I had expected and even included handheld devices to read the electric fields in the area around us to try and detect spirits. At each stop, the guide would tell us the history of the location and let us walk around the site using the electric field readers and also to take pictures. One of the stops was a bar that had since closed and had been raised for a new posh apartment building. We were told the bar was supposedly haunted by a sea captain. The guides pointed out a few of the spots the captain's ghost was especially active and then let us go explore. This was around 2003 and you could still smoke in the bars and it was still kind of cool to smoke in general. So of course, we were smoking in the bar. Dumb kids. Anyway, while we were exploring one of the corners of the bar where the captain was supposed to be especially active, the electrical field reader started to read a higher number. I held out my cigarette like I was offering a drag to the empty air. I said, hey, you motherfucker, it must really suck being stuck in this shithole. Here, have a drag or something along those lines. I was trying to curse like a sailor and I offered him a drag. And at that point, the cherry of my cigarette started to glow brighter and smoke started to trail up from the filter like someone was actually taking a drag. My friends and I were totally floored. I pulled the cigarette back, took a drag myself, and then offered it to the ghost again. And I kid you not, it took another drag. That made my night, and it would have been enough, but the tour had an even bigger prize in store for us at the end. The final stop on the tour was the Jefferson Davis Hospital. As you approach the hospital around a winding drive, it appears as a large, maybe gothic-looking mansion structure that you could find in any classic horror movie. It was dark by the time we'd gotten there, and the hospital was abandoned and surrounded by a chain-link fence that had an old gurney hanging off one side of the fence like someone had pushed it out of an upstairs window. The fence also had a large hole ripped in the front for easy access to the building beyond. As we unloaded from the tour bus, the guides explained that the hospital was one of many hospitals across America that had closed when state funding for these types of facilities was cut and patients began to be treated more often by drugs that allowed them to avoid hospitalization. Additionally, the hospital was built in an area that was just outside of the original city limits where the city had, in a much earlier bygone era, mass buried victims of yellow fever. Yes, the hospital was built on top of a graveyard. In fact, many of the surrounding structures were also built on top of the same gravesite. And according to the guides, the 911 dispatch callers that worked in a nearby government building often felt tapping on their shoulders while they worked or experienced cold spots and other similar events. Nothing extraordinary happened that night, but you better believe we were already making plans to come back later <laughs> and go through the hole in that fence. Dumb kids. We made a practice of sneaking into the hospital almost every other week for a few months. We'd hang out, follow our normal routine of drinks at the bar where they knew us and wouldn't cart us, and then running on liquid courage, we'd go hunt for ghosts. I had been out at a club dancing with a few friends when afterwards we went to a diner, the House of Pies, for greasy <laughs> post-dancing breakfast food. Our group consisted of a couple I had just been introduced to and a good friend of mine and his date. The couple and my friend and I were eating as we left my friend's date and my truck passed out. He'd had too much to drink and was sleeping it off. I was telling the three guys between bites of French toast about the adventures we'd been having exploring the abandoned hospital and their interest was piqued. They decided that they wanted to go check it out that night. We paid the check and they followed me to the hospital. It had to be one or two in the morning. 
The couple drove in their own car, and my friend sat next to me in my truck while his date remained passed out, leaning against the passenger side window. When we got to the hospital, we had to park a few blocks away behind some trees. We weren't the only people who made a practice of exploring the hospital, and we'd been warned by the guides on our original tour that homeless people also liked to camp out in the building. And a friend that had been on the original tour said that she'd seen a circle of people in black robes chanting one night when she'd gone exploring there. Because there were so many people interested in exploring what was, at its core, a dangerous old building, and because it was so close to a working government building, there was an officer that would regularly patrol the area. When we got to the hospital, my friend's date was still passed out, so we left him sleeping against the window and met the couple in the front of the main building. When we got to the chain-link fence surrounding the building, we immediately noticed that there were papers scattered all over the front drive, the yard, and the stairs. It was as if someone had ripped the pages out of multiple books and just thrown them everywhere. We would notice different things like this each time we visited. There was still some furniture in the building, and you would find that maybe it had been moved around from where you last saw it, or things of that nature. Just evidence that others had also been there. The papers, however, turned out to be handwritten psyche evaluations. They were written in blue ink and in immaculate cursive. One of the evaluations we read was of a woman who, quote, was discontent with her position picking cotton. The perfect cursive stood out and made me realize how little I used cursive, and I was again questioning how old this facility must have been. Everything about the papers triggered a thousand questions, but the main attraction was waiting just in front of us, So we put the papers down and continued up the steps through the front door. The building was shaped like a capital letter T with the top of the T facing out to the front of the approaching drive. As soon as you walked into the building, there was a hall that shot out from either side with rooms on each side of the hall. There were large waiting rooms at the end of the hall and a circular stairwell at the entrance that led up to the next floor. We opted to turn left upon entering the building. The couple was walking in front of us while my friend and I walked immediately behind them. One of the guys was already very visibly nervous and scared, and halfway down the hall, turned around and asked, Who's doing that? I asked what he was talking about. Someone keeps poking me. Oh, oh, it's me. I'm sorry. I'll stop. He calmed down visibly at that and turned and kept walking. My friend turned to me. Were you poking him? No, I confessed. We both nervously giggled as we continued down the hall. I remember thinking at the time that while the pokes this guy was claiming to feel might have been an interesting proof of hauntings, he was probably just imagining it. We made it to the waiting room at the end of the hall without further incident. There was nothing else much to see in the waiting room or in any of the rooms along the hall, and so we decided to go upstairs. Again, the couple led the way. The stairs were a very tight fit, and as we ascended, I started to feel an overwhelming sense of heat and pressure on my chest and neck. And for a second, the heat was so extreme, I almost felt like I was being pushed back down the stairs by it. I convinced myself that the stairwell was just stuffy and warm from being closed off from the rest of the building. When we got to the top of the stairs, we paused and looked down both halls. The layout of the upstairs was the same as the first floor. The only difference was that in the hallway to the left, there was a gate halfway down the hall that looked like it could be locked when it was working properly, though it was now hanging off its hinges. When we'd brought a psychic friend of ours on a previous exploration of the building, she'd said she could see something jumping from one open door to the next across the hall behind the gate. She'd said it was moving too fast for her to see any details. This time, as we got to the top of the stairs, the guys and the couple who had been feeling the pokes earlier again looked extremely agitated. Something keeps poking me, he said, and he knew it wasn't us. 
He refused to go any further and insisted on leaving. He rushed past us, and we all followed him downstairs and back outside. When we got outside, the couple decided to leave, but my friend and I wanted to continue to explore. He thought he should go check on his date and make sure he was still okay. I waited for him on the front steps. He took much longer than I thought was necessary, and I almost went to go find him when he came back. When he did, he said, that was really weird. What? I asked. He said when he got back to my truck, he'd found his date lying in the bed of my truck naked. What? His clothes had been folded neatly and set next to the truck. (laughs) He took so long getting back to me because he wanted to get the guy back into his clothes and back inside the truck. We agreed that it was either pretty spooky or his date was just a complete weirdo. (laughs) Rather than think too hard about it, we went back into the dark, empty, haunted hospital. Dumb kids. We started down the hall that we'd originally walked down. I had felt things earlier as we'd walked down that hall the first time, but it had felt mild compared to what I was feeling this time. It's hard to explain it, but it's like a deep, cold sadness. Imagine walking into a large building and knowing everyone inside is dead. You might not have any personal connection to them, but there's this general sadness at the loss of so much human life. That's the best way I can think to describe it. I'd felt it a little as I walked down the hall the first time, but the feeling now was overwhelming. I literally started to cry. My friend was having a similar experience, or maybe he was just picking up on my rising anxiety, but in either case, we decided to leave without making it more than halfway down the hall. When we got to my truck, my friend's date was gratefully, fully clothed, and inside the truck. My friend and I were almost giddy as I turned on the truck, like we'd just ridden the biggest roller coaster in the park. We were rambling about how incredible the experience was and almost immediately commented on how cold the truck had gotten. In retrospect, in a very chicken or egg style question, I can't say if we talked ourselves into feeling a cold spot because of what we'd experienced or if the cold spot was really an indicator of what was to come next. As my friend and I were continuing to chatter on, his date, who was still leaning with their head pressed against the passenger window, started to come too. He started to tap against the window with his index finger. Who are all those people? And why are they dressed so funny? He asked. My friend and I were intrigued, but not sufficiently freaked out. What are you talking about? Still in a light stupor, he stared even harder out the window. There's a man right outside, and he's dressed really funny. He's wearing some sort of suit, And he wants his papers? He says we need to give him the papers back before we go. Immediately, we called the couple that had previously left to tell them what was happening to us. They started to scream at the other end of the line. They asked us two or three times if we were being serious because, wait for it, they said they took some of the psych evaluation papers with them when they had left. As I drove off, my friend's date continued to tap the window, talking to the man outside the window. The hairs on the back of my neck were standing tall. The next morning, my friend's date, fully recovered from the night before, said he had absolutely no memory of going to the hospital with us, but that he had dreamt that he was in an old hospital. He said in that dream, he was a patient in the hospital and all of the doctors and nurses were dressed in old-timey clothes like it was the early 1900s. He never went into the hospital with us, but he was able to describe the interior layout of the hospital to AT. I later... I later heard that the couple had taken the papers that they had taken that night back to the hospital and left them on the front stoop during daylight hours, of course. 
And as a comical follow-up, the city or whomever is in charge of these things was unable to demolish the hospital because of the graves it was built over. Apparently, it was thought that having to deal with the dead bodies that would be unearthed during the demolition would be too much to deal with, so they decided to renovate the building and turn it into affordable housing for artists. Hmm. I hope you enjoyed the story. Keep up the scares, Jeffrey. Thanks, Jeffrey. I wonder if uh, the artists... uh well, if it has been completed, if the renovation is, you know, like been completed, I wonder if they have stories. He did say it just didn't seem pertinent to the story. Sure, sure, sure. Just, it was a like an aside detail that one of his friends who is an artist, you have to like prove that you have like a catalog of work. It's like this kind of like cool little setup. Yeah. But that his friend uh, has an artist space there and has never felt anything. Mm. But the friend is also not a believer. Yeah. So it's like, eh. And then that, that's so weird about the uh, the date. Uh, I mean, weird, you know, showing up naked, you know, like in the, in the, like just lying down naked in the, in the in vehicle. The bed of a truck. <laughs> just exposed. <laughs> and, and then also like, so, like, so did something attach itself to them or possess them temporarily, even though they didn't go inside for them to I have these know. memories of, of being in there and describing it accurately? And then did something else attach itself to the documents? That somebody had signed for them to like see for him to see those things. There's a lot of interesting elements. My favorite though was actually towards the beginning, uh-huh. a smaller one uh, that I made a little note of the cigarette. I know, just because I can visualize that so clearly. Yep. Like when the oh, I can't even the think cherry? what it's called cherry. Thank you. When the cherry like you know like he, like lights up, yeah. gets brighter. Yeah, because and, when you and, breathe into when you mm-hmm. and and then there'd be a puff of smoke coming back. Like it's very distinct and two times and two times. That would be okay if I had to pick like a, okay. a paranormal, like you know, out at a bar somewhere yeah. near a bar with friends. Get a weird feeling. Um, you think you see something with the cigarette, but then ask it to do it again, and then it does that again. Yeah, that would be a a pretty fun paranormal experience where I don't I wouldn't feel threatened. That's I would, true. I, I wouldn't feel in danger, but it would be definitive proof in my mind that there's no explanation for that other than paranormal. Do you want to start smoking again? <laughs> To, to try and create that. I don't. Uh, I do not miss smoking. Sometimes I do. I had a cigarette when we were taping your special in December. And not oh, only did I, I have a cigarette, that. I went outside with Mike. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. I was, yeah. just so, I was also pretty drunk. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I want a cigarette. That sounds awesome. It sounded so Did you so enjoy good. it? Uh, not the next day. In oh. the moment, I kind of did because I hadn't smoked in so many years. It made me like lightheaded, which was kind of fun. But it was like the most disgusting. It was a camel crush, like, oh, that's right. you know, where it's like you can start yeah. regular and then crush menthol, it and menthol. menthol. Like, yeah. I was, like, afterwards, I'm like, what am I doing? And he even said to me, he's like, I know this is disgusting and so trashy, but I've started smoking again during social settings. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I will go with you like an idiot. Um, okay. I thought the funniest detail was not the naked in the bed of the truck, that their clothes were folded and left next to the truck. <laughs> that is so uber specific. And I have been very drunk in my life. Yeah. I have never been so blackout drunk that I've woken up in a, well, I've never blacked out, but I've never woken up from a blackout taken my clothes off, folded them neatly, and then just laid myself out to be found. So that was a weird yeah. detail. And I don't necessarily know that I think that that's like a possession kind of thing, so much as maybe just like the influence of a spirit. Because if this person, like, well, I guess maybe they were like overtooken with a spirit in some capacity because for them to wake up the next day and think that they were a patient in a hospital that they could accurately describe the physicians within the hospital and right. the layout... I guess like maybe it was, it could be 
surmised that they thought like they were going to put on their patient gown or something? Like, why would you take your clothes off? Yeah, I don't know. I love the paper's detail, though. So very clearly as they're leaving and he's like, "What's who's that guy? <laughs> tap, 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 so yeah. he's seeing a physician who wants his medical pay. He wants his <laughs> psyche valves back. That's and there so was weird. no way for the person passed out in the back of the truck to have known that the couple that left before everyone else took, took some papers, of the psyche valves yeah. with them. Mm-hmm. It's just like a good. But doesn't it have that feeling of like, OK, I could see me and my friends doing this. Oh, yeah. We go on a tour, we find this place, we realize it's accessible on our own, we go back a few times. It's not like overwhelmingly terrifying, but it's just enough. Mm-hmm. I do find it funny that, th- that they actually have done that, Like, I, which I guess makes sense, you know, like when they leave behind those records, you know, like when those, oh, when those yeah. hospitals just shut down, it, you know, I guess it would be such a pain in the ass to get rid of everything. Like there are just cases where they run out of money mm-hmm. and everybody is let go and you no longer are an employee of that place. And so those records don't, they're not going to do you any good mm-hmm. and you just leave them. But it's so weird to me that that does happen, that people's like records and stuff are just left in these old hospitals. Well, yes. And also a sign of like the the times because now we have HIPAA and that would be a HIPAA violation to leave those records in any way that they could be found. Yes, yeah, so you could get in legal trouble even yes. after getting let go and all the things. There would still be no excuse for you just to like leave a bunch of sensitive information right in a building that's now going to become just dilapidated i imagine that if records were to be left behind somewhere in 2023 it's because someone's a charlatan or they've scammed people and they're just like booting out out of town yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. but what's cool about those old medical records not in a scary paranormal way but you know i became obsessed with henrietta Lacks for a while gila She's like, oh, the, yes, uh huh. Like, podcasts and stuff you're listening to. Technically, well, I listened to the book. It was so good. Oh, yeah. It's so, so good. Like, if you have children that are science minded in any capacity, this is such a great book. But, you know, she is, her cells are immortal and they're constantly studying them. Her cells still continue to live on in labs all across the world. It's so fascinating. Yeah. But she was a, a black woman. And so, you know, her healthcare was very different than what would be afforded to her now yeah just as a human and her records they you know her it's just a long story but there's all of these old records that they were able to access from her child who was interned for mental illness it's Mm. just like but those records helped piece together like all these different pieces about henrietta and who she was and like i don't know so in some ways it's really cool that some old records were never destroyed. Oh, it is cool. I mean, you know, if uh, if I was wandering around through some old abandoned institution and there was a fa- file cabinet, absolutely, I, I would open it and start looking through there. Just be careful. You might pick up a disease. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do some shout outs? Bob? I do. I do. I'll start off with the Annabelles. Uh, thank you, Annabelles, for supporting what we do here. We so appreciate it. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles. Uh, Shaney Kelly, St. Nemo, Mirabelle. I love that name. Mirabelle? Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, a girl named Evan. What if I would have said, like, nah, I hate it? Uh, no, it is a good name. <laughs> uh, Kitty Cat. Kitty Cat. Uh, Jake Adams. Jackie Cat. I like that we got Kitty Cat and Jackie Cat. Are you guys a couple? Jenny Fuller, Kiara, and Kami, and Christina Ramos Dominguez. Very nice. Oh, no. I meant to give you this really hard name that mm. is definitely not, it's, it's like Icelandic or something because it had all the little like dots oh, and things yeah. above and I didn't transfer them over because <laughs> I intended to screw you with this name. Dang it. <laughs> all right. Ellen Magnus Doder, Uriah Paul, Justin McIntyre, Jose Feliciano Jr., Peter McHugh, Augie, Christian Winterton, Nicole Messer, and Alicia C. 
You know, I, I thought you did a good job with that Icelandic last name. I don't I even mean, know. I don't know if that's I don't correct. Know if it's correct, but it sounds like a correct kind of name. M A G N U S D O T T I R. But there Magnus Dotter. Magnus Dotter. What's the first name? Ellen. Oh, Ellen. Okay. So, um, Ellen Magnus Dotter. <laughs> yeah, it does sound Icelandic. Well, and it had like the like the double dots, and mm-hmm. I don't know the terms actually for those things, but um, yeah. Okay. Could you spoopies? Yeah. Shankaro. To Sasha, from your annoying husband and demon children, happy <laughs> birthday to our most important family member. Aww. You're the best wife and mom. To Harvey Wainster, peeper mama and creeper dad, from your Vermont peeper nana and creeper papa bee, happy birthday, much love, and much spoops. Okay, this grandpa, papa bee, yeah. he sent in this um, spoopy shout-out request. It's like the cutest thing this little family, like the grandparents live in Vermont. Yeah. The family lives somewhere else and they they creep together. Oh, that's it's so, so cute. cute. They just had a baby. Harvey Wainster is a new baby. Well, congrats. Uh, yeah, congrats, Papa. To Diane from Danny, you are the greatest witchy wife a guy could ask for. To Carson Carter and Callie from your creepy Aunt Della, I'm disowning you for not inviting me and Uncle Chance to see Dan with you in Denver. <laughs> uh, Uncle Chance. <laughs> I love the so name cute. Chance. To Scrody. From Maddie. I want you to know that Scrody is a combo of Cody and Scrotum, a longtime nickname. I figured Scrotum was wrapped up in that. I <laughs> uh, can't wait to see you this summer and for our kids to finally meet. Love you. And to Sunshine from from Riley, happy six years, my love, to infinity and beyond. A lot of good ones. I know. They were so cute. Uh, and that is our show. Thanks for the ratings and reviews again lately, Creeps and Peepers. Always helps us find new listeners and always appreciated. Yes, the more we can grow, the longer we can do this. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith, Tyler C. for work on social media. To Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com, all the designs. Thanks to uh, Logan for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four. Uh, thank you to producer Olivia Lee for finding the second story I told this week. Um, I was able to find the first. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch us. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content and to see the pictures that accompany the episodes at Scared to Death Podcast. We have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, if you want to meet thousands of horror-loving members. And if you want show highlights and more, you can find us on TikTok, at Scared to Death Podcast. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon. Get the entire catalog ad-free and more. And of course, finally, enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Go find some gold and a rainbow. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Magic Productions. What a terrible, terrible way to die. Getting shot out of cannon? No, being executed. (laughs) (laughs) I hear Logan.